You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Welcome. Back to Legends Live, as presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association, the home of all our NBA and WNBA legends. I'd like to remind viewers, you can submit questions during the show that we'll get to before we wrap up. Without any further ado, I'd like to welcome in today's guest. We have former Syracuse Orange, former Washington Bullet, Detroit Piston, as well as the mayor of Detroit, Michigan, and one of the founders of the Retired Players Association. We've got Mr. Dave Bing with us. How are you, sir? I am great, Tyler. My pleasure being with you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward. Uh, first things first, how are you? Have you been keeping busy in this, this bad weather? I think everybody's getting, we were talking about it a little bit before we went live, but uh, how, how are you staying busy? Um, I've got a, a program uh, for black men and black boys, a mentoring program Okay. where it's one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And uh, as important as we think education is, uh, we have so many of our inner city youth, urban youth, mm. that um, maybe only 50% of them who get to the ninth grade graduate from high school. And so we're not an education. We are a buddy to the kids to make sure that they understand how important education is going to be for them to succeed in life. Mm. Now, how did you uh, get started with that? Once I came out of the mayor's office, um, I had been to places uh, in my 50 plus years here in the city of Detroit. I'm not a native Detroiter, Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And um, after my stint in the mayor's office uh, and, and my engagement uh, with the public school system here, I actually knowing I was a mentor. I mean, I was mm -hmm. just friendly with a lot of young kids growing up here in the city of Detroit. Yeah. And uh, I saw how challenging uh, their environment was mm. and thought that instead of me sitting down uh, talking about how bad things are, how bad our kids are, et cetera, et cetera, I wanted to do, I wanted to change the narrative right. and talk about, you know, these kids can be the next NBA all-star, uh, the next entrepreneur that's successful, the next politician that can be successful. And I just wanted to let them know, you know, about my life and the challenges that I had. And in spite of those challenges, you know, you still had success. Hmm. What have the, I guess the challenges look like, you know, doing this mentoring now during the pandemic, a lot more things are, I guess, virtual or online. Have you all been uh, making that transition? It's a tough transition, and I'll tell you, uh, we've got 88 boys in our program uh, from the seventh grade through the 12th grade. And um, to a person, every last one of them wished they were back in school. Wow. So, so they're, they're dealing with the pandemic, but I think from a socialization standpoint, from a friend standpoint, 
uh, from an entertainment standpoint, <laughs> and hopefully from an education standpoint, they want to be back in that environment. That's right. what they miss. Yeah, definitely. Now you mentioned earlier, uh, not a native Detroiter. You've been there for a while, but you are a native from DC. I read something. I just want to know if you can confirm this for me. I read that growing up in DC, you used to play basketball with Marvin Gaye. Is that true? Uh, well, Marvin was on the same playground or rec center that uh, okay. we, we we grew up in the same area. Okay, and so we knew each other as uh, as kids. Hmm. And uh, Marvin would come down to the rec center, and very seldom did he get chosen to play. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he'd be he'd be in the sideline somewhere uh, if he wasn't playing. Uh, you know, he had his his thumb or his finger in his ear singing. <laughs> Okay. And uh, it was obvious that he was pretty talented. He had a great voice and uh, he, he made the right choice. He got away from basketball and went into singing and, and obviously the rest of history. Okay. I was going to ask, did he, uh, was there, was there any chance of him being an NBA star and singer? But it sounds like he, uh, he picked his, his stronger suit in singing. He was a smart guy. He went, he <laughs> went, he went in the right direction for sure. <laughs> Not a lot of great basketball players from D.C., D.C. area like yourself, Elgin Baylor, uh, Kevin Durant, Adrian Dantley. What do you think D.C. has got to do to kind of get that respect as a breeding ground like for great hoopers? I feel like DMV as a whole kind of gets it. But what does D.C. have to do to stand out? Well, you know, a lot of uh, our players, um, because their families moved out of D.C. And, mm. and so now a lot of them in the Maryland area. Right. And so um, we don't have as many great basketball players coming out of the city of D.C. itself, but still in the area. Right. You know, when you look at D.C. and you look at Maryland, you look at Virginia, you know, you've got a 25 mile radius where um, a lot of guys have come out and, and done exceedingly well. You know, Elgin and I uh, are from the same high school. And uh, we're probably the only two in the top 50 that are from the same high school. So I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Elgin is 10 years older than me. So I, I got a chance to see him play as a kid growing up. Mm. And uh, boy, what, what a talent he was. He was way ahead of his time. I say, who are the, some of the other guys, I guess, from the in or around that area that you saw either watch, you know, growing up, they could have been older than you around your same age. Yeah. Well, John Thompson, uh, we should have been uh, high school teammates because his he lived two or three blocks uh, from the high school that I went to. But uh, he went to a Catholic school, John uh -huh. Carroll. And uh, because, you know, the Catholic schools could recruit uh, where in the public schools you had to go to the school that was in your area. Right. Um, you know, uh, Danley, same thing There's a lot of guys who grew up in D.C., but as they became uh, really great players, a lot of them finished their high school careers outside of D.C. Yeah. So even with Kevin Durant, same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, after uh, high school in D.C., you made your way up to Syracuse. How did you how did you decide on Syracuse? Um, Syracuse was the last school that I visited and the first black to ever win the Heisman Trophy happened to be a senior at Syracuse at that time, Ernie Davis. Mm -hmm. So between Ernie Davis and uh, John Mackey, uh, the All-American and the, you know, the tight end with, the, with Baltimore, um, were the two guys that really recruited me. 
because Syracuse, when I was recruited, had no black players. Wow. And my freshman year, there was one other black player that came in with me. Uh, he came from Boys High in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and uh, Sam Pencil. And we never had more than four, for my four years, we never had more than four black players on our team. Wow. Since, yeah, since then, it's been altogether all different. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, with Jimmy Beheim, who was my roommate in college, um, you know, Jimmy has had just a gr great run at Syracuse, and he's there now. Um, I don't know how much longer he's going to coach, <laughs> but uh, he has had a tremendous run of success in his years at Syracuse. Yeah, I was going to mention that you, you were roommates with Jim Beheim. What, what's something we don't know about Jim? Like, is he, he doesn't like to clean up after himself? He doesn't do the laundry? Or what, what's something that we don't know about Jim? Well, you just hit it on the head. <laughs> that plus he really he really didn't like to study. I mean, uh, Jim, um, very very bright guy, um, and he had this ability uh, to to cram for an exam. And the night before an exam, I mean, he could stay up almost all night and uh, go into the exam and and, and ace it. Yeah. And, and then he forget about everything that right <laughs> he, and he had crammed for. But uh, a, a talented guy uh, from an academic standpoint and obviously uh, a very great coach. Now, did you see any of that coming? Like at the time, obviously, you never know down the line a guy be a you know, champion Hall of Fame coach. But did you see that like at the time, like he had the mind to be a basketball coach? Uh, I did because he draw up plays uh, mm. in the room while we were, you know, talking and reliving our practices and reliving games that we had played in. And he would tell me um, a lot of things about options. You know, mm. our coach would give us the play, but most of the options was Jim was scoring. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he was drawing them up. Yeah. Oh yeah. He said, you know, you're going to get double team. You're going to get triple team. This is where you look. This is where I'll be. Yeah, pass it so to he's yeah. always a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> now, get, uh, being from DC, later on you played with the Bullets. How was that experience for you playing at home? I know some people have said like it's a lot of pressure or stress being in your hometown. A lot of people have enjoyed it. So, what was that experience like for you? Mixed emotions for me because I didn't play in D.C. until in almost the end of my career. I played mm -hmm. my first nine years in Detroit mm -hmm. and, and had tremendous success in Detroit. Um, when I went to D.C., um, they had a team that had just lost uh, the NBA championship to Golden State. Mm -hmm. uh, they got swept four games. So the trade for Kevin uh, Porter and myself. I was made and as I came to DC I had to really change my style because they had uh, Elvin Hayes uh, mm -hmm. who could score they had Wes Unsell and they had Phil Shamir uh, all three of those guys were well, all-stars yeah. so I had to figure out how to fit in with them I mean I was a great scorer uh, in my first nine years um, but I knew I couldn't go down there and try to take over because they had good players on that team and so, I, you know, I changed my game and became really a point guard uh, instead of a scoring guard because Phil was a scoring guard. Hmm. Was anybody that you like modeled your game after at that point, either in your Detroit days or D.C. days, or you just kind of went out and did your thing? I kind of went out and did my thing, to be very honest with you. I mean, hmm. I, my style was, you know, I mean, I could jump. Uh, I was quick. I could run. 
Um, I could penetrate. I, I love going inside. I love contact because in D.C., that's what we learned on the playgrounds. You couldn't, right. you know, you, you had to go in and with the big guys. Uh, if you couldn't do that, uh, you know, it wasn't they didn't have a three point shot. Right. So uh, you went in and mix it up with everybody. What did I think the the three point shot, if I'm not mistaken, came in after you had retired, not sh- shortly correct. after you retired. Yeah, exactly. How did you feel? How did you feel about that? Like, was that something you kind of wish you would have had, or or no? Uh, I'm not crazy about it. I, I, I think what happens. I mean, I'm, I think I'm somewhat of a pierce as far as the game is concerned. And as a guard, uh, as you're running the fast break, you know, the the, the years that I played, uh, you guys wanted to get a layup. And so they they fill the lanes all the way to the basket as opposed to flaring out trying to get a three-point shot. And I think the three-point shot has – I'm not crazy about it, to be very honest with you. It definitely has changed the game, and uh, a lot of guys are prolific three-point shooters. And so, you know, a lot of strategies – I mean, you're never out of a game. I mean, when you're 15, 20 points down and you got the three-point, you got great shooters. I mean, you're you're never out of the game. Yeah, you can make that up in a couple minutes. You hit two, three Uh, threes, you're right back in the mix. right back in it. Exactly, exactly. Now, you mentioned uh, the success you had in Detroit. All-star games, you made seven of them. What do you remember about your first all-star game? We've got the uh, NBA's all-star game coming up here soon. That first All-Star game for me was in Madison Square Garden in New York, mm. my second my second year. And um, the backcourt was myself and Oscar Roberts, a forward. Um, mm. we, we had one hell of an All-Star team. Sounds but, like it, yeah. Yeah, you know, the difference back then uh, compared uh, today, you, you, um, you played to win because you weren't making a lot of money, uh, you know, back then. And in an all-star game, um, I think the winning team got $7,500 and the losing team got $5,000. So you wanted to win. You wanted to <laughs> play and you play hard. Today, the guys uh, make so much money. Hell, uh, it's unbelievable. I don't, I don't think it is nearly as competitive mm-hmm. as it used to be in the era that I played in. Right. Now it's a show and um, uh, it, it, it is exciting. I mean, but you, they don't play any defense at all. When you see games, you see getting 150 to 160 points Easy. in 48 minutes. Yeah, you know, you're not playing any defense. As great as you may be as an offensive player, right. that's a lot of points to score. <laughs> now, again, of the seven you made, do you have a favorite? Favorite of your all-star appearances? Oh, yeah, the one that in, um, in Philadelphia where I won the MVP. So oh, that'll uh, do it. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I remember um, because that was a year. That's my first year playing with the Bullets. And um, I wasn't sure that I, my game had changed. But because I had played in, you know, six previous All-Star games and, and had great statistics, um, there were guys who I think had at least as good a year as I was having at that time who should have been considered uh, as an all-star, hmm. but it didn't work out that way. Um, and I wanted to prove that, uh, you know, the people who voted me in were not necessarily wrong. And luckily, uh, you know, I won the MVP. Who, uh, who else was in that all-star game with you? Who were some of the, the names in that one? Well, um, you had Havlicek, you had Biggie, you had Wes, uh, you had Dr. J, 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you, you had still uh, Moses Malone. So you had some mm-hmm. outstanding players uh, on that particular team. And that was the East team. Mm-hmm. Now, after your days in Detroit, after you retired, you ended up founding a steel company in Detroit. Like, was the business aspect, like, was that something you were always interested in or how did that come about? Always interested um, in in running my own company. Hmm. Uh, my dad, uh, who grew up in South Carolina and, and never finished high school, um, was a tradesman. Uh, he's a bricklayer uh, by trade, but he he could do everything with his hands. I mean, plumbing, uh, cement finishing, uh, you know, ca- cabinetry, all of that. He could do all of that. Some everything. And, yeah, and I saw him as a kid growing up doing all of those things. And even though he was a, a small independent entrepreneur, um, he was a guy that was in charge. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I looked at him and said, one day I think I'd like to do something like that. And the opportunity, once I retired from, uh, from basketball, the opportunity to go into business here in the city of Detroit, Mm-hmm. Um, opened up a lot of avenues for me. And uh, Detroit, obviously, as the uh, the center of the universe as it related to uh, cars and trucks mm-hmm. uh, is something that I kind of went, went to. I went in that direction. And uh, after two years of training in the steel business, uh, there were no blacks that I could remember in this business. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, uh, you know, let me do something different. Let me take a shot at this. And uh, after two years of training, I started with four people. And after 29 years, um, I was about 1,300 people. And um, there was a quote unquote a minority company because of my ownership. But I'd say 80% of my staff were African American. Hmm. And I I wasn't, you know, I wasn't just gun ho on being um, uh, a minority company. I wanted to give as many opportunities to do that. And I feel very good about that as I look back and say, uh, you know, I think, and and even with some of the people who worked for me, they ultimately left and started their own companies because Mm. I think I gave them enough insight and enough support to say that if I can do this, you can do it also. And it it worked out very well. Now I read uh, something else I, I hope you can confirm for me. Is it true that you, while you were an NBA player, that you worked off seasons at a bank, is that true? For seven off seasons, I worked for the National Bank of Detroit. Um, that particular bank, and when I came in as a rookie, um, I had two kids uh, mm-hmm. while I was in college, and um, I didn't want to live in an apartment, so I wanted to live in a home because I lived in a home uh, as a kid growing up in D.C. And so I went to get. Um, uh, went to this bank to try to get my home financed and they turned me down. And the reason that they, the reason they turned me down, because they said, you had no credit. You're just coming out of college. <laughs> you know, you, you, you just go into the, the Detroit Pistons and NBA team. We're not sure that you're going to be there for a long time. So <laughs> they, they didn't want to take the risk. Yeah. It's up in, I mean, you guy makes one, two all-star games. Who knows how it's going to end up? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? Uh, I made, I was rookie of the year. And, and, and at the end of the season, that same bank came back to me and said, you know what? We think we made a mistake. <laughs> so um, we, didn't, we didn't give you the financing that you need for your home, but we'd like to give you a job in the offseason. So I worked for that bank for seven years in the offseason, even though I had started to make much more money, you know, mm-hmm. after, after my rookie year. 
but I use that as a stepping stone to prepare myself for what I dreamed of, and that was to become my own entrepreneur, my own mm-hmm. business owner. Now, I guess what type of work were you doing? Did they have you doing at the bank, like financial stuff, teller work? Or? Well, I started off as a teller my first <laughs> my first season. Uh, my second season, I became a head teller. Okay, uh, and then I became an assistant manager. Uh, then I got into lending, uh, you know, in terms of mortgages and, mm-hmm. and, and financing and accounting. So I learned a lot that really helped me uh, when I when it was time for me to make the decision to, to run my own business. Now, did you, you use that on the court? Like you might be guarding a guy and tell him you can get him a good, you know, good interest rate on a loan or on your your bank cards. You put like rookie of the year slash head teller uh, being <laughs> on there. No, no, never that, never that. <laughs> Most of the guys uh, in my era uh, did not work in the off season. Hmm. You know, uh, because I think a lot of us probably felt that, uh, you know, you're making this money, um, you know, your star, everybody wants to be around you. And a lot of guys just went to, and made money with speaking engagements, uh, playing in tournaments and what have you, and, and not preparing themselves that the day was going to come when you would no longer be an NBA player. Right. And I knew for sure that that was going to happen to me. And uh, fortunately, I played 12 years, which is a which is a long career. Mm-hmm. But even at, I'm, I'm 34 years old when it came time for me to make a decision to retire. So you've got your whole life in front of you. And if you're not prepared to do something else. After your business days, you went to politics. I mentioned you were the mayor of Detroit. Was that something that you always had? Something that you always wanted to, to check off your list? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I, I, even as mayor, I didn't consider myself a politician. Um, you know, I, I came into that position because we, we had a young mayor by the name of Kwame Kilpatrick, who was mm-hmm. just a brilliant young man who had all kinds of potential, but he made some bad decisions mm-hmm. and got himself, uh, you know, uh, in jail. Mm-hmm. And so um, a group that was out looking to try to find out, and get some names together who we could uh, present as our next mayor. And I didn't know that they were talking about me. And so <laughs> uh, I ultimately uh, came in and I, the last eight months of Kilpatrick's second term, uh, I took over that. And then I was reelected for a four year term. And that was a tough, the toughest job that I think I've ever had, because whatever happens in, in a city, mm. uh, it goes back to the mayor's office. Yeah. Very seldom do you get credit for any good things that happen, but right. anything that's bad, that's negative. Coming right to you. Oh, yeah, it comes right to your desk. But, you know, people ask me, um, if you had the chance to do that again, uh, would you make the same decision? And my answer is yes, because mm-hmm. it wasn't about me. It was about really trying to bring the city back. And this city has been good to me. I've been here 50 plus years. And anything that I can do to be supportive and be helpful is what I wanted to do. And so we um, we went in with a staff and I think we turned a lot of things around and moved the city from where it was in the right direction. Hmm. Now you said you, even as mayor, you didn't see yourself as a politician. Is, is there any politics in your, in your future or you think that that chapter is, is written? That's in the past. 
That, that chapter's gone and, and closed up, no doubt about it. I mean, and, and today, when you look at politics, it has changed so dramatically. I, I don't know how you enjoy it, to be very honest with you. And I mean, everybody looks at it today as a powerful position. Hmm. But um, if you if you really want to do something to help people out, I mean, don't look at yourself as a politician. You're, you're serving for the people. Hmm. And uh, anytime you're there for the wrong reason, whether it's money, uh, whether it's power, um, you're not going to do well. You're not going to last very long. Right. So I ask you one more question here, and then we'll jump to some questions from our viewers here. Mentioned earlier that you were one of the founders of the MBRPA, who's sponsoring this very show we're on now, along with Oscar Robertson, Dave Cowens, Archie Clark, Archie Clark Dave Debuchier. So how did that come about? Well, Archie and I are both in the city of Detroit, and we have known each other because we came in as rookies together. And uh, Oscar was a guy that I had tremendous respect for, and he's a guy that uh, introduced me into the Hall of Fame. Hmm. So we had a great relationship. I played one year with Dave Cowens, and, and I've also played with DeBusher. So hmm. I have relationships with all of those guys. And what we saw um, was retired players were um, were in a lot of trouble, financial trouble. Yeah, the guys in our era didn't make enough money um, as a player to take care of themselves and their families. You know, in a second career, very few of them got into a second career. So um, they didn't have health insurance. Um, uh, they didn't have a pension in a lot of cases. That really set the stage and made our careers what it was. And we wanted to be able to give it back to them and then think about the next generation, those people that came after us. Right. So um, when, when we, you know, early on, um, there was a pushback. Uh, the, um, the, the office in New York really looked at us and say, you know, we, we don't need you guys to do this. Right. And we said, no, we, we, we fought it for five, six, seven years before they said they're not going away. Right. And so uh, fortunately today, um, the Retired Players Association is something that's given a lot of our players uh, what they didn't get as an active player. Hmm. Uh, now, you know, the pension fund is strong. Um, the health care that's so needed today for a lot of the players whose injuries don't really come up until they, after, until they finish playing. Right. And so a lot of guys who may not get a job where they got health care and what have you, um, uh, that's something that we really fought for. So I'm very pleased that uh, the five of us came together, all of us, uh, you know, as all stars, never forgot where we came from and wanted to try to make this league a better league for, for our ex-players. Mm, definitely. We've got a couple of viewer questions here we will jump into. We'll see what we've got. First, from Bridget and Julio backstage, we've got For Your Eyes 2. He says, how would you adjust how we rank players? Should Wilt be number one? I'm guessing he's talking about in terms of like our all-time rankings. Yeah. People, fans today who didn't have a chance to see Wilt Chamberlain play, uh, I would say that Wilt was the most dominant player ever. Hmm. Uh, from a scoring and a rebounding standpoint, people can look at him and say, well, he couldn't do this so he couldn't do that. But he was the most dominant player. When, when you look at um, players in my era, I think the best all around player was Oscar Robinson. Mm. 
And when you look at guys today, I mean, between Michael and uh, LeBron, um, you know, they got all the skills that anybody could ever wish for. And they have had tremendous careers. And, uh, you know, there are some great players in the league today, but there are players that played in my era who could compete with guys today. Definitely. Let's see, next question. Got one from The Real Matt Money. Matt says, what were some of the reasons for choosing to play for the Celtics in 1977? The reason that I went to play for the Celtics is that I didn't, um, I didn't like the way my career ended in, in D.C. my second year. Um, and so Red Arback is somebody that I knew from childhood because actually Red lived in the D.C. area. Really? And, yes. And so when when I retired from uh, from the Bullets, um, Red gave me a call at my mother's house and said, "You know what? What, what are you doing retiring? You're not ready to retire yet. You you still got some game left in you." He says, "I need you to. Uh, you, you never played on a really great team and." Mm. Uh, if you come to the Celtics, I think we've got a chance uh, to, to win a championship. We've got Jojo White and Charlie Scott in the backcourt. And we've got Sidney Wicks and uh, Curtis Rowe and John Havlicek at the forward positions. we got Dave Cowens uh, at the center. And if you come, um, that'll round out our backcourt. And uh, I think we can compete against anybody. So he said, we got seven all-stars, but the reality is that all of us were former all-stars. I don't think any of us were all-stars at that point, but uh, that, that was the really changing of the guard uh, in Boston. And, and I didn't like Boston as a city, quite honestly. And um, I didn't move my family to Boston. I had three daughters who were uh, in high school at the time. Mm. And so um, I needed to get back to Detroit and, and take care of the family. Right. So, um, but I had, a, I had a great, I had a great year in Boston. I really enjoyed my teammates there. And uh, most of us remained friendly. I'm sorry that we've lost a few of them, mm. but uh, we, we've always remained friendly. Mm. Did you have any consideration about giving like another year, either in Boston or somewhere else? Or after that, you you knew that was your time? Well, I could have played, I think, and been, <clears throat> and been productive for another two years. Mm. But, you know, Boston's our team, like I say, we had seven former All-Stars. <laughs> so I didn't see a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity for us to win a championship. And that that next season is when they uh they drafted Larry Bird. Okay. And, and, and our back never let me forget, you know, <laughs> as you come back, you would have been playing with Bird, with Parrish, with McHale, and what have you. Well, you know, that's all uh, water under the bridge, as they say. I'd made my choice, I made my decision, and I stuck with it. Yeah. Let's see if we got any other questions here. It says, as a seven-time All-Star, which one was your favorite All-Star? Uh, went to this a little bit earlier, but yeah, uh, yeah. toot your own horn again. If you uh, Tell us about it. Somebody may have ca- uh, joined us a little late. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, uh, I, I wasn't sure in my heart that I should have been starting in that All-Star game. Mm-hmm. I think I was played well enough to be on the All-Star team, but maybe not as a starter. Right. And so I had something to prove uh, in that people and coaches had selected me as a starter. And I didn't want to let myself down, my teammates down, or those that had selected me. 
So uh, as fortunes may have it, um, yeah, I wound up having a nice game, uh, won, all, won the uh, MVP, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the rest is history. I enjoyed those. I enjoyed that game the most. Got one from another one from Four Your Eyes that said, who are some of your favorite players in the current league now? And is Trey Young on that list? So I guess who are uh, yeah who are some of the young guys now you like to you enjoy watching? Um, you know it, it's it's easy uh, to talk about LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I, I've always liked Chris Paul because I mm-hmm. think he has been a consummate point guard for a mm-hmm. long long time. Uh, uh, you know Curry uh, with the ability mm-hmm. to shoot the way he shoots. Um, and now the young boy down in Atlanta, uh, Trey Young, uh, mm-hmm. is an outst- outstanding talent. Um, I like to see him play. He plays uh, he, offensively. Um, he's as good as anybody, in my opinion. I mean, he can score. He can pass. He can he can get into the lane. He can create. And uh, he, he's going to have a bright future uh, ahead of him. But, uh, you know, they're, you know, Kevin Durant. I mean, you, you Kyrie. I mean, there's so many players with this unbelievable talent um, and that you can enjoy watching them. And those are just few of the names that come to come to come to me in the top of my head. Anybody that reminds you of yourself? Um, I think probably um, between Westbrook and Derrick Rose. Okay. I mean, those are the two guys because, you know, we could shoot the jumper. Um, we all could jump, uh, we could run, we could penetrate and we were point guards, but who could score. Right. So, um, when you really look at, you know, how many scoring guys can also pass the ball, uh, those are the two guys that come to mind to me. Hmm. Got one from Trevor Adams. Trevor says the top five guards you ever played against and who is your favorite teammate? Um, my favorite teammate is easy was Bob Lanier. Um, Bob, uh, probably was the best shooting center ever. I don't think there was any big guy that could shoot as well as Bob. It had to be, uh, Oscar and and Jerry West. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they were head and shoulders, uh, better than anybody else. But then there was the guys in New York. There was Earl Monroe. There was Walt Frazier. I mean, in, 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 era that I played in, there was never an off night where you're going to play against somebody that you didn't have to worry about. Right. I mean, every franchise had a, a great player, a great backcourt player. I mean, I look at the top 50, and uh, most of the guards in the top 50 I had a chance to play against. Hmm. I mean, you had Hal Greer um, in, uh, in Philly. You had uh, Sam Jones in Boston. You had West. You had... Uh, Oscar, I mean, I could just keep naming guys, but we had some great guards uh, on that top 50 team. Hmm. So I think that was it for our viewer questions. Got one last question we'd like to ask all our legends before we before we let you go. We're getting together season two of our, our music playlist. So what's something, it could be something old, something new. What's something that you listen to either around the house, in the car, whenever you're just going about your day? Well, I listen to jazz more than anything today. Okay. You know, I'm not a rap guy. Okay. So, uh, you know, I listen to the old, uh, the, the old blues. Uh, I listen to um, 
uh, the gas stations here in the city of Detroit, and uh, that, that's what I enjoy mostly right now. Okay. Throw a little, little jazz on there for you. And uh, again, what was the name of your mentoring program? Throw that out there. Yeah. The mentoring uh, is Bing Youth Institute. Bing okay. Youth Institute. And so we've had, like I said, we've got 88 boys in our program. And every boy that's become a senior in our program, we're 100% graduation rate, mm. which is unheard of. Yeah, and, that's excellent. Yeah. But uh, I want to give a shout, a shout out to uh, the mentors because I've got 88 black men, families trying to raise their families, trying to have their own careers. But they give up their time to give to these boys. And without them, um, these boys would not be successful. And I just want to give them a shout out because they deserve uh, they deserve all my love. Without them, there would be no program. Definitely. A big shout out to them. A big shout out to you for the work that you've did uh, with the retired players and your mentoring. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. My pleasure meeting you. Of course. Likewise. We'll talk to you soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this week's Legends Live. As you know, we've got new episodes live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central on the NBA Alumni's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch page. I'd like to remind everyone you can watch replays of any episode at legendsofbasketball.com slash legends live. You can catch the audio replay to our conversations by searching for legends live wherever you get your podcast. I'd like to give a thank you to Dave Bing for joining us. Thank you to Bridget and Julio behind the scenes, and we'll see you next Thursday. <laughs>